All right. Well, it's such a great privilege and honor for me to be here. And really to start, I want to share a little bit with you about my upbringing. So um, my, I'm the daughter of Korean immigrants that came to um, Philadelphia and settled there and made it their home. And my dad was left as an orphan, actually, after the Korean War. Um, his dad was a journalist, and actually, during the Korean War, the people they were seeking out to kill were journalists. So my dad remembers um, his father in the middle of the night upstairs um, in their house, and soldiers literally knocked at the door and asked my dad for his dad and pushed my dad aside, uh, grabbed my grandfather, pulled him out of the house, and my dad actually never saw him again. Um, and so when we hear in the story about, um, or in the media about reporters and media being targeted, it's very real to my family. Um, and so my dad was left with his mom at the age of three, and then his mom passed away four years later when he was at the age of seven. And so he literally became an orphan at the age of seven. Grew up in poverty in Korea, um, but he always dreamed of coming to the United States because this was a land where he literally thought the streets were paved with gold, where there was, um, he loved fried chicken and like he literally thought that fried chicken would come out of the box because he saw pictures of fried chicken on breadcrumbs. And I mean, that was his dream to come here, but he never knew how he was actually going to make it here to this country. Um, fortunately, he was really good at fixing cars and eventually won um, a national car repair competition in Korea and was able to immigrate here, started working at Ford Motor Company and opened up his own shop in downtown Philadelphia. So if your car ever breaks down in Philly, you know where to go. Go visit my dad. Um, But it was interesting because even as my dad has a story of migration and settling here in this country, I was born here. And yet growing up, I've always gotten the question, you know, where are you really from? Um, You know, I know you're American, but you look different. So where are you really from? And it's always a tough question for me to answer because I say, well, I'm Korean, but I'm American. I was born here and I was always grappling with this identity. What does it mean to be a Korean and an American at the same time? Because I felt like growing up in this country, I was never fully American. And then every few summers I would actually go back to Korea and everyone in Korea would say, well, you're not really Korean either. You're born in America. You can't speak Korean really well. And so this issue of dual identity, of actually growing up in a city where I felt always different, where the food I was eating was different, where the language I was speaking at home is very different, was something that was very, very real to me. And so it's an issue, I think, that all of us, whether or not we were born here or not, whether or not we come from the city of Baltimore or not, have to grapple with, which is our cities and our communities are changing all the time. It's looking different. There's people who speak different languages coming into communities. There's people with different professions that are living in our communities. And the fundamental question is, how do we respond to the changes happening all around the world and right here in the city of Baltimore, not just as an American, but as a Christian? What does the Bible actually say about people who are living on the margins, about people who are trying to make it in the society, working hard and and really um, doing the best that they can to provide for their families? And there are four fundamental tenets of scripture that I want to explore with you today. Um, and so I have some slides that are going to be scrolling through. But I really, um, as growing up um, in Philadelphia, one of the main things um, I held on to was my faith. And I went to college in Baltimore, and that's how I ended up here. And as I studied scripture, I realized that really for me, I'm not a Korean American. I'm not Korean. I'm not American. But fundamentally, my identity is as a follower of Christ. And that should actually inform my worldview in terms of how I'm supposed to respond to um, living in, in wherever God has placed me. 
And so as I was reading through scripture and studying the Bible, I think one of the main things I, I realized about scripture is that the story of the Bible is about a story of people who are on the margins. And in fact, when you look at almost every single major biblical character in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you realize that almost all of them were people who were castigated. They were people whom um, society had deemed um, um, poor or, or unimportant. And yet God brings those people from the margins and actually puts them right smack in the center of her story. And you see that through the story of Ruth, for example, she was a widow. She didn't have any resources for her to gain any kind of sustenance. She had to follow her mother-in-law into the land where she became a migrant laborer. She literally gleaned the fields day in and day out, day in and day out, probably not thinking anything of it, but she realized she had to do it to make an opportunity and sustenance for her family. And yet what happened in her story? Boaz noticed her, fell in love with her, and literally they became the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. This was a woman whom everyone deemed as a migrant laborer, whom no one thought was important. And yet we see in the history of the Bible that she became alive and her story is one that we still cling on today. Another person we see that God used to bring about his story is the story of Joseph. He was literally someone who was sold into slavery, was a victim of human trafficking back in the Old Testament. And yet what do we see? We see that even though he was thrown into jail for several years, even though his brothers despised him and said he was nothing, God used his story, elevated him, and he literally saved the entire nation of Israel from famine. And so we see God being used by him. We see the story of Rahab. She's another woman. A woman, uh, she was a prostitute, and yet she was someone whose heart was after God, helped Joshua actually escape, and literally it was her story that redeemed Joshua and allowed him to do actually what he was supposed to do. And you see throughout the Old Testament, the whole nation of Israel, they were a people who were captive um, in the nation of Egypt. And God literally had to call Moses out to deliver the Israelite nation out of captivity. And it says in Exodus 2 that God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them because the Israelites were crying out for justice, were actually mourning because they were in captivity and they were enslaved by the people of Egypt and wanted someone to come rescue them. So you see throughout Genesis to Revelation that this is a story of people who are on the margins whom God is bringing into the center of a story. But you also see throughout the Old Testament that God continually reminds us that the people who are the most vulnerable, the people that we should care about the most, are actually four groups of people. It's the poor, it's the widow, the orphan, and the alien. And God repeatedly says throughout the Bible that these are the four people who had literally no society, um, no systems of structures, no support, nothing to actually help them um, live their lives. And so God said, these are the people that you have to take care of when they live amongst you. And you see it in Deuteronomy and Psalm 146, that the Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. Or Malachi 3, 5, he says, I will be quick to testify against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the aliens of justice. And so we know that God not only um, loves the poor and the immigrant and the orphan and the alien, but he actually calls us to care for them as well. And you also see in not just the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well, 
Jesus's entire life, at least the three years of the ministry that he was the most active in, there are parables and stories and stories upon stories of him communing with the people that society said were not worth his time. So when he healed the woman at the well, when he talks about the story of the Good Samaritan, these were individuals that people hated. And yet God said, these are the people that I want to dine with. I want to dine with a tax collector. I want to heal the woman who's been bleeding, that's been left out at the gate for you know over a decade. These are the people that I'm going to actually build my community with. And this is an example that we're supposed to follow as, um, as evidence throughout scripture. But the second thing that we realize is not only that God loves people at the margins and brings them into the center of a story, but God loves justice and he does justice. It says in Deuteronomy 10 that the Lord your God is a God of all gods, the Lord of all lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God who doesn't play favorites and doesn't take bribes. He enacts justice for orphans and widows and loves immigrants, giving them food and clothing. That means that you must also love immigrants. Now, the word for justice in the Bible is mishpat. And basically what it means, the idea of justice is you want to give people their fair shake. You want to treat all people equitably equitably, and give people their fundamental rights. So this basically means that whenever there's um, systems of oppression, whenever there's people who are not get, being given their due, we have a responsibility to be ambassadors for Christ, to actually rectify those injustices and provide them with the rights that they are supposed to be due. So the second thing that we realize throughout scripture is that I, not just the idea of mishpat, but the idea of zedekah. That's another word for justice or righteousness that's reflected in the Bible. And what this means is that it's not just about righting the wrongs and about giving people their dues, but in our relationships, in the ways that we live in community, that in and of itself should actually um, give people their due. They should be welcome into society. They should be a people, we should be a people who welcomes all regardless of where they're coming from or who they actually are. So this idea of mishpat and zedekah that are coming together, of justice and righteousness together, occurs when there is a conformity with God's standards and morals for excellence, and when we can actually reflect the shalom that God intends for us from the very, very beginning. Now, I've um, been working at World Relief for over 10 years, and World Relief is an organization that's um, based right downtown here in Maryland. And this idea of justice wasn't something I feel like I've really grappled with until I started working on the issue of, of immigration. Now, we all, uh, many of us actually live in the city of Baltimore, and if you're not from Baltimore, um, there's um, immigrants that are living in all communities all across this country. And, um, you know, as I started to hear their stories, I realized, well, I'm an, the, the, the daughter of immigrants. And yet when I was growing up, I never really thought of systemic issues or structural issues at all when it comes to immigration. But actually, um, I started meeting um, a lot of people living right here in the city of Baltimore where um, they were here um, not in a legal fashion and they were struggling to make it in, this, in, in, uh, in their work. And as I got to know some of their stories and got to hear some of their stories, um, they were struggling with the fact that they weren't here without documentation. And they started to ask the questions, well, um, how can I right the wrong that I committed when I came into this country illegally? Or how can I right the wrong about me actually living here without any authorization? 
And, you know, they are working hard. They're working 10 to 12 hours a day. A lot of them were working in the construction. Um, there's people who came cleaning um, our offices late at night, and I would have conversations with them. And the issue is that they're here without legal status, and they were wondering what they should do. You know, the conversation in our country right now around immigration is really heated. Uh, we all know and pro- maybe love Donald Trump. Um, and he's been making immigration a real issue. And when you, um, I lived in Spain for almost a year, and Spain itself is also dealing with issues of migration. And fundamentally, they're asking, you know, who are we as Europeans and who are they? And in this city and right here in Baltimore, we're also asking the same questions. You know, who are we as Baltimoreans? Who are we as Americans? And who are they? And so the issue of justice really comes into play because as I've gotten to know a lot of these individuals that are living right here in the city of Baltimore, um, I've, as I've gotten to meet a lot of students that are actually immigrants themselves as well, they've all asked the question, how do I get right with the law? How do I actually um, not become marginalized part of our community, but how do I become a part of the story of living this American dream? And a lot of them, they cannot do it because they cannot get right with the law. And so for me, justice for me or for the immigrants in our communities has really meant, well, what does it look like for us to look at systemic issues as structural issues and start to realize how do we change these systems and structures? So this student that I know who's undocumented, this cleaner that I know in Baltimore City um, who feels like she's going to be deported at any second can actually right the wrong and actually live their lives in peace and in comfort amongst all of us. And so we know that God loves justice and he does justice, and that's fundamentally what he's been doing throughout the story of Scripture. But I think the main passage that really reflects this for me um, is really captured in the story of um, 2 Corinthians 5.17, where if we go to that, it says, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone was in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sent for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, reconciliation, I think we can often think about it as a project or as something that we do alongside of the journey of us living in a church community, but it's not about a project or about something that's individual or something that's on the side, but he has to be a part of our daily journey of living along with Christ. Reconciliation ultimately seeks to endow the practices of ordinary life with the flourishing that reflects God's plan to reconcile all things to Christ. Now, what we see about the scripture in 1 Corinthians is that, first, this is an act of God and his mercy and justice towards us, where it literally says that Christ intervened on behalf of humanity to take the sins upon himself. So Jesus himself was the ultimate reconciler of humanity towards God. But because Jesus himself was our advocate and our intervener before God, it means that we as Christ's ambassadors also have the ministry of reconciliation, where we, like Christ, have to basically stand alongside those um, who are suffering and those um, who are in need of justice and actually bring them along the journey of reconciliation. 
So this fundamentally means that this is not necessarily about us, but about God's mission in this world. And reconciliation is not a goal of human striving, but it is instead a gift that God longs for us to actually accept. God's gift of a call for us to be Christ's ambassadors of reconciliation is intended to unseat every single other identity that we have. Now, for me, I can identify as someone who's a girl from Philadelphia, and I love the Philadelphia Eagles, and I love the Phillies, and I love all other Philly sports fans. But for me, I'm not just a Philly girl, and I'm not just a Korean American, but fundamentally, I have a deeper allegiance to the family of God. And what that ultimately means is that there are no divisions, that there is no Greek nor Jew, that there is no undocumented immigrant, there is no poor, there is no other, but it really, the story of them becomes a story about us. The story of uh, our neighbor who's in need becomes a story about us. The story of the person that comes around cleaning our offices at night who's here and documented is a story about us. And that mutual humanity, that idea of having deeper allegiance to the family of God means that all the other differences that can divide us actually wash away in light of God's mercy. And what we ultimately know as well is that not just we as individuals, but I believe the church has a central role in the act of reconciliation. All of us, uh, many of us attend churches, whether in Baltimore or somewhere else. And being in a church community offers us the community um, to actually sustain the life that God has called us to. But the act of being in a church, of being in this body of believers, means that Um, There's glimpses of the new communion in which the journey of reconciliation actually leads. Without an account of this community of the church, we become lone firefighters trying to address this issue, this issue, that issue, and this issue, and that issue. And we become um, just so um, individual in our actions that we don't actually represent who Christ is and the work that God wanted us to do through the church to an outside world that is actually watching. So reconciliation actually happens when the church finds itself faithfully and patiently living out a vision of the beyond in the most ordinary and simplest of tasks. So again, this doesn't mean, as Randy was saying, that we do um, ministry that's outside of this church, but this church has to actually live outside of the walls into the community in which God has actually called us to. Um, I think for me, as I've, uh, my husband actually serves with college students at Hopkins and, um, you know, even being at a Christian organization where I've uh, heard about the injustices that are happening around the world and actually meeting with a lot of immigrants and hearing their stories, um, it can only almost become immune to me where I hear the stories. Um, we all know what was happening in Paris yesterday and can become immune to actually what's been happening. Um, but I think the, the actual act of reconciliation actually has to start fundamentally with relationships. Um, I think for me, as I started to learn about what was happening, especially with immigration in our country, um, you know, I started to think, well, there's millions of people who are living in our country, and it seems like an overwhelming number, but it wasn't until I start to, started to actually get to know some of the stories of these indiv- individuals that it became a reality for me, and it only happened because of relationships. Um, there's one individual that I met when I was at a conference, and he's actually someone that I've kept in touch with over the past five years, actually. And I met him at a student conference, Urbana, um, in December um, several years ago. And he was someone who um, is actually from China, and he came across here smuggled on a boat. Um, he actually was on a boat for uh, several, for over a month and actually came here. And he lived in this country um, in an undocumented fashion um, for many, many months, and he actually applied for school um, for college. 
And he got accepted into college, but then um, he actually couldn't afford to go to college because he couldn't be eligible for any kind of financial assistance. Um, and that was because he's not an American, which means that um, you have to be a U.S. citizen to actually qualify for financial assistance. And so because of that, he didn't actually know how he was going to go to college. Um, and so he actually applied for an outside scholarship, got a full scholarship to college, and actually started attending a school in Texas um, as an undocumented immigrant. And so he started sharing with me his story of how he felt like he couldn't tell anyone that he was here without legal status. He couldn't tell anyone that he was here without any kind of um, um, ability to actually rectify his um, illegal status. And so he started crying to me at the end of this conference because he felt like he was living with this burden for so long and he didn't know what to do about it. And so as I started sharing with him, he said, you know, I feel like if I go to my church community and tell them my story of being smuggled here as a teenager, that my church community is actually going to hate me. Um, and I said, well, have you actually tried talking to the leaders of your church to tell them your story? And he said, well, no, because I just feel like with what's happening in the news and everything that they're going to not accept me for who I am. And I encouraged him, you know, talk with your church community, talk with your small group, actually share the story of the fact that you fear for your life or that you fear that you're going to not be accepted um, as an American and see how they respond. And he emailed me a couple months later saying, you know, I shared the story with my church and they actually got him to go up to the stage to share his story. And he did. And it actually um, felt, he felt like there was a huge burden lifted off of his shoulders, but it was in that church community that he felt like he was walking in a relationship with Christ where he was actually fully accepted, not because he was an immigrant and not because he was here undocumented, but because he was a follower of Christ. And it was in that relationship and it was in that church community that he felt the welcome that he didn't feel anywhere else. Now, this idea of hospitality, I think Thanksgiving's coming up and we're probably all real excited. We're probably going to visit with our families and our friends. And for me, I always make all the sides. So I make the mac and cheese and the mashed potatoes. And I love it because all my family comes together and they, they celebrate Thanksgiving at my house. And this idea of hospitality is we have... Um, grasped it, I think, as an, Amer- an American idea where we say, you know, we're really hospitable people. Um, we celebrate Thanksgiving. It's the yearly holiday where we, you know, love to eat good food. But the Christian idea of hospitality, not just the American idea, is not just dining with your friends. It's just not dining with the people that you're comfortable with, but it's actually dining and communing with people who are your enemies. And that is a radical idea of hospitality, where Jesus said that it's not just about us Um, living our life with people who are comfortable with us, but it's actually about living our lives with a stranger, with people who are different than us, and actually allowing their stories to impact ours. Um, For a long time, I think the church has been very... um, comfortable living within the walls of this, of whatever building that we're in and not actually going into the cities that we are and getting to know the stories of the people who are on the margins of our society. And yet it's through the daily living, it's through the hospitality that we can show um, others in which we can actually live the life I think that God has called us to live. I think the church um, for a long period of time has been the interrupter of society where we're actually creating peace and reconciliation within our own community. But oftentimes us being an interrupter of society means that we ourselves have to be interrupted by the stranger. We ourselves have to be actually not living a life comfortably, but we have to go outside of these walls and allow the stories of others to interrupt our own comfort and to interrupt the way in which we actually live our lives. 
So my fundamental question to all of you is, do you all have relationships that make you feel uncomfortable? Do you actually, um, are you seeking out communities in the city in which you live, in which you're actually getting to know people who don't look like you, who maybe don't speak the same language that you do, who don't have the same color of skin that you do, who maybe do a different job that you do. Do you have those relationships that can inform what God is actually doing right here in the city? The second thing I want to say is it's through these relationships that actually creates awareness about some of the injustice injustices that are happening in our communities. Um, Gary Halgan once said that nothing happens just because that we're aware of something called modern day slavery, but nothing will ever happen until we are. So in relationships with others, as we get to know people who are different from us, oftentimes it creates in us an awareness of what is actually happening all around us um, in the city of Baltimore. Um, you know, many of us know several months ago that there were riots actually happening um, uh, because of what happened with Freddie Gray. And I remember um, I was actually in Hawaii with my husband on my baby moon when everything was going on. And when I was there, people knew that I was from Baltimore and they would ask, okay, what's happening in your city and what's happening in, the, in Baltimore? And I would say, well, there's a lot of... Um, um, you know, emotions that have been happening. Um, there's been injustices that have been committed for long periods of time in the city, which are actually finally being addressed because of what happened with Freddie Gray. And when I came back into the city on that Sunday, I actually went to the rally that was in front of City Hall. And what was interesting about um, actually talking with a lot of the people that were there is I just never felt a sense of um, community and of of peace and of actually a sense of justice more than I did actually at that time. Um, and it's because when I walked um, into that rally and I started um, actually conversing with people and trying to see, you know, what are, their, what are they thinking and what are they thinking about what happened to Friday Gray, I realized that there is a lot of hurt in the city. And I realized that a lot of people living in the city of Baltimore were dealing with a lot of things that weren't addressed for long periods of time. And so for me, as I lived in, in Baltimore for, for quite a long period of time, I started to ask myself, you know, am I becoming immune to what's actually happening right here within the city of Baltimore? And I don't become aware of what's actually happening if I don't get to know people who are living in the city, who are living in other parts of the city, and actually have their stories, again, become a part of my own story. And in that journey of building relationships and in that journey of actually become aware, becoming aware of what's going on around me, I realized that advocacy and seeking justice has to become not just an agenda, but an integral part of what we do as a community of Christ. And basically what advocacy and what seeking justice actually means is that we actually have a responsibility to speak up with those who are claimed not to have a voice and to actually seek um, structural and systemic um, changes in our society that will allow for the full flourishing of those individuals. You know, oftentimes, I think we know the story of the Good Samaritan, where we see someone beat up on the side of the road, and we see someone beat up on the, on the side of the road. And we say, you know, our duty as Christians is to bind up that person's wound, to put them on our horse and donkey, to take them to the end, and to make sure that they're taken care of. And for us, it may mean that, um, you know, we involve ourselves in, in homeless ministries, or we um, help the elderly living in um, different homes in our city. It may mean a lot of different things. 
But what if we ask the question as a community, well, why are there so many homeless people in our city? Why are there so many immigrants living in our country without documentation? Why is it that um, this person keeps getting beat up and keeps getting beat up along the side of the road? Martin Luther King Jr. once said in a letter to the Birmingham jail that our call as Christians is not just to be compassionate, but fundamentally we have to ask if we keep seeing people beat up along the side of the road and then we uh, cross the road again and we see another person beat up along the side of the road. What is wrong with a Jericho road? What is wrong with the systems and the structures that create people who are constantly beat up alongside of the Jericho road? And at a certain point, we have to ask, we need to fix the Jericho road. We need to not just pick people up and bind them up and tend to their wounds and actually do ministries of mercy, but we have to be seekers of justice and actually trying to repair and restore the systems and structures that actually lead to people being in situations of injustice. For me, um, as I've gotten to know immigrants um, in this country and in a community, it has meant that I am advocating speaking up for immigration reform. And basically that has meant that I want the laws of this country to change so that even if you came here undocumented, even though you've been living here for 10 to 15 years without that kind of status, that you will have the opportunity to get right with the law if you, for example, pay back taxes, if you've been working here for 5 to 10 years, if you um, learn English and do all those things, that that should be an opportunity for you to get right with the law. Now, for many of us, it may mean that we look at our school systems and we say, why is it that a lot of kids are not graduating from our high schools? And that may lead to us starting mentorship programs or actually getting involved in our communities. It may mean like a lot of different things, but I believe that we as Christians are not just called to be the good Samaritan, but we must also be called to be the restorers and the restructurers of our cities to actually pursue the justice that God is actually calling us to right here in the communities that God has has placed us. Um, Bill Moyers once said that charity is giving someone crumbs off your table while justice is providing someone a seat at your table. Now, the question for all of us is, are we providing enough room at the table of God for everyone to sit at the table with us, for them to receive the blessings that God has given us, to actually partake in a society where their their rights are not denied, where they feel like they're not marginalized, where they actually become not on the margins of our communities, but become the center, central characters in which God can use to revitalize our communities. Um, there's a book called Reconciling All Things in which they say that the justice of the Lord's table is not simply a punitive or retributive justice, but a far more radical form pursued within a vision of costly communion to bring together what has been torn apart. Again, I want to read that the justice of the Lord's table is not simply a punitive or retributive justice, but a far more radical form pursued within the vision of costly communion to bring together what has been torn apart. And I want to focus on the word cost or the phrase costly communion. I think for many of us, um, where um, we've probably are went to college or maybe we're um, uh, have different degrees and we think that that degree bestows upon us a certain ability to actually be restorers of our community. And again, I think it's not about a degree. It's not about where we go to church or, or who our friends are, but it really is about starting with one-on-one relationships and again, having those relationships and having those individuals and their stories become the story of what God is doing collectively in our communities. 
And so I want to end with this by asking you these two questions. The first is, do you have relationships in which you're challenged outside of your comfort zones? Are you challenged to think differently about an issue? Are you challenged to learn another language? Are you challenged to think differently about um, about that individual? And secondly, where are you on the spectrum of becoming aware of an issue to becoming an advocate for that issue? Um, in the relationships that you've built in the city, are you aware of something that grieves your heart? And has that awareness actually led you to being advocates for um, actually looking for systemic changes that can address not just the individual situation, but a societal change that actually needs to happen. And those are the t- two questions that I hope we can grapple with um, as we leave this building and actually as we seek to become restorers of justice in the cities in which we're living. So with that, can I say a prayer for us and then close? Dear God, um, we just thank you for... Um, For the fact that you made us diverse, Lord God, the fact that all of our stories are unique and individual, the fact that you've placed us in this, in this country, in the city that we are, um, to be restorers of, 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 of reconciliation, to be restorers, to seek the shalom of our cities, Lord Heavenly Father. And God, I pray for each and every single one of us that we will not be afraid of getting outside of our comfort zones, of actually building relationships with people that may make us feel uncomfortable, with actually um, seeking out um, areas and communities where we are challenged in how we think about a situation or about an issue, Lord God. But I pray that we would become the church that... Um, is uncomfortable, Lord God, that we will be a church that actually seeks out your justice right here in the city of Baltimore, Lord Heavenly Father. So God, help us to not be people who are gated within the community, Lord God. Help us to not just be people who are aware, but help us to be people who seek deep your justice for the city, Lord God. May we be a people who pray, Lord God. May we be a people who intercede, Lord Heavenly Father. May we be a people who actually um, sing out and proclaim that your vision of shalom can happen right here in the city of Baltimore, Lord Heavenly Father. So God, we love you, God. We ask that your teaching here today, that your spirit would move in our hearts so that we can leave this place renewed and refreshed with a, with a deeper vision of what you're calling us to do here in the city, God. So we love you, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.